You are listening to Drop Tent Media Network. Uh, my undocumented ass podcast. With Che Guerrero. The winds really change talk. in one direction. They got to harass someone else. I get it. I get exactly. it. Like, people don't realize how just one little access can literally change a whole family's life. Hey, welcome to another episode of My Undocumented Ass Podcast. This episode was really special for me. I got to speak to the writers of Somewhere We Are Human, Reina Grande, and, and Sonia Guinasaka. Uh, this book is actually, they curated uh, from 27 different undocumented uh, writers, poets, essayists from around the world, and uh, put it all together, 41 different stories about the undocumented experience. We talked about various stories in the book. We talked about how the project came together, and we also talked about the current state of the immigration system and their hope for the future. Uh, in this in this episode, there is about five minutes where there's a little bit of white noise, but after that, it's we fixed it. It's smooth sailing. You're gonna love the episode. It's gonna be fantastic. It's very emotional. And also, if you want to check out the book somewhere, we are human. Go to bookshop.org and get the book right there. All right, check it out. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, we're we're uh, are we going now, Jesse? Our, our producer. We're going. Yes. Uh, just I want to do a really quick intro. I'm, I'm, I, I've never done this on my podcast. It's been so professional, so I wrote down a little bit. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today on another episode of My Undocumented Ass Podcast. Today we got Reina Grande. She is the author of the best-selling book, The Distance Between Us, and this new book, which uh, she was nice enough to send me a copy of, uh, Somewhere We Are Human, and the co-author of the book. Let's say co-author. Is that the right? Co-editor. Co-editor, excuse me, the co-editor of the book, uh, Sonia Guinasaka. Sonia is an internationally acclaimed poet, activist, and a cultural strategist, which I love. I love that as a title. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you both uh, so much for being on this. Um, like I said, so, um, Reina was nice enough to send me a uh, copy of the book. And the one thing that um, I'll start here that you even wrote nice enough to wrote a little passage in the beginning that said, I hope you find a little bit of yourself in this book. And I, I, I caught myself crying a few times. Uh, it was 41 stories that at parts, it felt like almost I was, you know, it was my own experiences, like reliving it. And it felt like, Oh, I'm not crazy when I feel like this. Oh, I'm not, you know, um, the only undocumented individual who has these anxieties. So please tell me a little bit like about what this pro how this project came about and, and, and what was your intention behind it? And, you know, if you want to start, uh, Reina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things we try to do was to give voice to these voices that are not often heard or seen. Uh, we wanted to make space for, you know, for, for these stories to be told and shared. Um, I think for the most part, as we were creating the anthology, our main goal was to create this collection that would speak to immigrants themselves, you know, where to offer them a mirror where they could see themselves and their own experiences. But at the same time, I mean, we also had to keep in mind other readers, right? Other readers who didn't know much about the immigration experience or, to, or we wanted to give them an insight into what it's like growing up and living here as an undocumented individual. So, th so there were these readers also that, that we wanted to make sure that, that we reach because we want to have a conversation, you know, about immigration, 
we want to make sure that in addition to empowering and inspiring the, the immigrant community, we're also um, helping others understand what this experience is like and, and hopefully contributing to the conversation that we have as a country about our immigrant community here. That's what I was going to ask real quick. Um, when did you? When did this project sort of come into like? Oh, we're going to start doing this, or or what? How did it come about between the two of you? Yeah. So this was right at the peak of our well, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, we oh. uh, share uh, the same our uh, agent, book agent, um, individually and like independently. We've like. Um, had an idea of creating a collection of stories by and from like undocumented folks. And I feel like um, when the timing is right, it everything aligned. So we um, it, we had the backing of a publisher, uh, which is HarperCollins, HarperVIA, who was just um, in a space they wanted to uplift and make room and make space and share resources for, for a collection like this. And um, so our agent um, put us together, and um, and this is the first project that we've worked together. Um, the first time we met actually was our at our LA uh, book launch. Um, we we did this project virtually uh, through FaceTime, um, you know, Google Docs, and <laughs> it it was just an incredible project, um, but also a very hard project because we were doing it during the middle of like the pandemic. Um, during the increase of like of incarceration, during the increase of like anti-trans legislation, uh, anti-Asian hate, you know, that was happening. Also during the rise of For Black Lives. Um, and so there were so many components that were happening, but I think it was like a particular cultural moment, um, cultural setting that uh, allowed us for, for us to show up and, and put this project together. Um, but yeah, it was at the very beginning of the pandemic and um and and it was done through a labor of love and intentionality uh to make sure that we're also creating the best process for our writers and contributors and visual artists um uh, because we also have our own experiences working with publishers and um we wanted to make this a process that, that felt sustainable and great yeah so i wanted to ask this because uh while i was reading the book uh, I was actually like some sometimes I didn't read who the author was. So as I was reading the story halfway through, they'll mention like being from Nigeria. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like even as myself, like sometimes I eliminate other, you know, because mostly in America, you hear the Latinx, you know, story of immigration. But it was beautiful that you took the, the you, you, you brought in other stories from other parts of the world. And that made me really like you know, walk in other people's footsteps for a second through the other undocumented experiences. How did how did you decide who, you know, how the 41 people were curated and things like that? Anybody that like, you know, in the book personally, you're like, I love this story and I thought that should just be in there. Yeah, um, well, that was actually intentional because Sonia and I really wanted to be inclusive and we didn't want this to be just the, about the Latino experience. You know, I mean, there's undocumented immigrants from all over the world living here. So we wanted to make sure that we included people uh, outside of Latin America. And we we were very proactive in terms of trying to find those voices 
Um, I, I wish we had been able to include a lot more, but you know, the, the ones that we included, you know, there were people from, like you said, Ni Nigeria, somewhere from Vietnam, from the Philippines, from Bangladesh, from Brazil, um, and Korea and, and different places, because to, to me, like that, that is the, the best way to represent the undocumented immigrant experience is to highlight and, you know, and really show how much diversity there is within this community. Yeah, that, that was that was actually I, I like that a lot because even in my own podcast, people tell me like, hey, you need to get other people from other parts of life. And I, I felt like, yeah. Gosh, I'm so centered in my own experience. Uh, what about you? And anybody that you were like, you know, once you saw a story, like, oh, we have to get in anybody for, for yourself that stands out? Yeah, I think um, adding to what Reina mentioned, um, one of the things that is often erased and like taken out of our immigrant rights movement spaces is the fact that a lot of those spaces, um, these organizing spaces, like activism, advocacy work, policy work, um, and even cultural work has been done by like black migrant organizers. And I think that that is often forgotten or erased or uh, or not lifted as much as like as Latinx stories, um, brown Latinx stories. Um, and along with that is also like our indigenous folks um, from these specific countries as well. Um, we also wanted to make sure that throughout the book, you also get a sense of a lot of queer, trans, non-binary stories, uh, which was specifically important for me as someone who's also a queer, non-binary, knowing that uh, we played a specific, like a critical role in our organizing spaces, in our cultural spaces. And so um, I, I I don't have like a favorite. No. I feel like all the pieces um, yeah. are just incredible um, shows the full spectrum of of human beings living laughing enjoy um, but in sadness as well in all the spectrum of emotions um i think for me is the the breather that the poems um sometimes offer in between the essays there's also visual art uh, we wanted to make sure that we also incorporated visual images a visual art um since we know they have been powerful symbols and um powerful, I want to say like a, a, a arts um, moment in our immigrant right, immigrant uh, movement organizing spaces, like yeah. the, the ways that this uh, visual images invoke. So we made sure to include those, but yeah, there's so many incredible pieces in there. Um, I will lift up um, like the essay by uh, Razine, uh, who holds the complexity of becoming a lawyer. Um, that, that that's just, exactly like, the story that like I, when I read that story, I just left the nonprofit because mm -hmm. I, I think it's the story. I think it was the same one uh, where this individual is talking about that he has to help uh, asylum seeking immigrants relive their trauma for these lawyers and these judges. And that made me like cry because I'm like, oh, my God, it's so true. Every time I go to these immigration hearings, it's like it's like tell me your trauma again. I'm like again we gotta go through with this okay and you gotta like cry at that moment just to prove to them that you are human you know just like yes. that that was such a great story i really felt the what was the name of the, of the author again razine so she's uh from new york city uh from bangladesh uh incredible uh still currently undocumented uh wow. practices law um and uh, I know Reina worked directly with Razine. Um, I know Razine from organizing spaces back in New York City. So 
Yeah. yeah. I don't know, Raina, if you wanted to speak on like other essays also that like evoke or poems. Yeah, I mean, I, I love all of them. I I am very partial to the essays because I was the one who got to work with the essays. So they're very close to my heart. I got so attached to the writers and, and their stories too. Yeah. And it was such an honor, you know, to be able to work with them on their revisions and polishing their pieces and just bringing them to the next level, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, like making sure that I was honoring their vision for the pieces as well, while I was also edit, editing those pieces and, and making sure that that we were able to to polish them yeah. to, to and bring them up to a certain standard. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit on like, the, I'm trying to be a writer, honestly, like I've been a stand-up comedian like my whole life well, since I was 18. Uh, so I'm trying to be a writer now. So when you say like essays, especially, you mean like the kind of short story that you did about um the Sweet Valley High and your daughters, like those sort of like eight yeah. or nine pages that tell like, I love those because I've been, I've been thinking about writing a book about my life and I'm like, dude, just start with like a, a small story. If you could tell a small mm -hmm. story, like there's somebody actually that I did want to um point out. I think, I think. I think their name is uh, Danieli Rodriguez. Oh my gosh, I I want to somehow I want to work with them because the way they talked about being Dominican in New York City with the music and everything in just like ten short pages, I felt like I was a Dom like I grew up in New York City too, so I know exactly what she was talking about. I felt like a little kid in New York City reliving that. And I was like, thank you for that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was so real. So like that's I, I love that that story. Yeah. So I just wanted to point yeah. that out for myself. So, yeah, so these are personal essays, you know, okay. and personal essays, they're not like the standard, like, you know, academic essays that you write in English composition class. These are personal essays are, are creative. So you're able to write about your own experience in a, in a very creative way. These are nonfiction pieces. Um, and we had a, a word limit for for each piece. Oh, okay. So the challenge for the writers was to make sure that they they stayed around like 2000 words. Okay. Um, and you know, so there was a lot of revising, there was a lot of like cutting, trimming, tightening, polishing, moving things around. So yeah. many of these pieces went through several drafts before, wow. you know, we we uh, approved them and said, "Okay, this is it." As a wannabe writer, it's very nice to know because, you know, sometimes I'm like, it's not perfect the first time. Bye. And then, you know, but and so all these were like original pieces created specifically for the book. Because uh, In my mm -hmm. mind, maybe I thought some of them were pieces that were published before and you wanted to come, you know, but these are all original specifically made for this book. All original pieces. Um, Danielle, as well as uh, Yosima Reyes, who are poets, um, they shifted over to wanting to write essays. And so um, this was also their like experience working in that medium. Um, but every single piece uh, was, we had a, a two different process of like how we were building out this collection. Once one of them was like a specific list of folks we wanted to incorporate. These are like leaders that we knew from like immigrant rights in spaces or like folks who were doing incredible, brilliant work in their fields, um, people, artists and cultural workers that we knew. Um, but we also understand that we're not connected to all undocumented creatives. Um, there's so many. And so we had an open submission process and they submitted uh, poems and essays that were uh, new, um, that have not been published before. 
um, and we got to working with them. Um, and yeah, these were original pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things I do want to add to that was that when we did the call for submissions, you know, we had like 150 submissions and oh. we only had about 20, 25 spots, right? And it was a, a very difficult process of, of trying to like select what pieces we were going to include. But one of the things that I, I kind of liked that Sonia and I did was that we weren't just, we weren't exactly judging the pieces based on how well they were written. You know, there were some pieces that were very rough, but the story was, was really powerful, you know, mm. and the voice was very strong. And so we selected pieces, even though they weren't, they, they were very rough pieces, but, you know, we talked to the writers and we said, you know, we really want to include your piece. Are you willing to go through the, all these revisions with us? And, and, and they were, and they, they definitely dedicated themselves to yeah. the revision process. And, and, you know, and then, I mean, you've read the anthology, you know, how strong and beautiful those pieces turned out. And I, I really appreciate you saying that, you know, you know, being like some pieces are rough, but we work with them because, you know, as an undocumented person that, that, that need to be perfect in order for anybody to look at you and accept you is, is it's overwhelming so the you know that's been my biggest fear as wanted to be a writer is i have journals and journals and journals but i'm afraid that you know that once i put them out there you know it's going to be the same uh you know over analyzing of my work more than you know white people would i'm just saying it out there so the fact that <laughs> but you also, did that made me feel so it made me feel really good at heart that you took people's work who was not you know traditional maybe the kind that kind of writer but you helped them along because that's very sweet to do what were you yeah, gonna say sorry yeah I, was, I wanted to highlight but also the fact that systemic wise, like also the literary spaces, like this, like very established spaces have not been kind or welcoming or inclusive or intentional in like supporting the voices of undocumented writers. So what would it look like if you had the the resources, the ecosystem that would push you to be that writer, right? So it's not just like your fault or like you have these journals and you don't know where to, no, there's also like, um, we're pushing for a better world where all of our writers, regardless of immigration status, have the support, the resources, the finances, the mentorships, um, the, again, like the publishing backing uh, for them to tell their stories. And I think that's one thing that we wanted to do with this book is say, uh, here is us like modeling what it can look like uh, if we continue to tell these kind of stories um, where all of our writers, our contributors got paid well, um, went through a process that felt uh, good, um, and now their book, you know, gets to live on Barnes and Nobles and Target and, uh, and our local bookstores, but, but it's also like the systemic reason why like many of our writers have not been, um, uh, pushed out, um, in like this, like national platforms because, um, there hasn't been uh, intentional space for undocumented writers. Yeah. And that's, I'm glad, I'm glad that at least with this project, y'all were able to do that and hopefully it opens up more for other people. Um, I did want to talk about, I, you know, some of uh, your own personal work in the book that I, I really, I loved uh, both of your stories uh, for, you know, you're, you're as a poet, Sonia, and uh, Rina as an essayist. Uh, essayist. Um, for Sonia, with yours, like, I just, like, I'm, I'm critiquing yours. But I just want to say, like, I just love the way uh, in your three poems, you kind of told, like, almost the growing up 
in the United States. If I'm right, you know, I'm, I'm not good with like with art like that. Like sometimes when I see a drawing on there, I'm like, I don't know what's supposed to mean more than just a drawing. So, uh, so please correct me if you're like, that's not what I meant. But um, you know, just just the way I love the way you know talking about your getting the hair comb and the way the words just kind of like combed out too. And then you went uh, to uh, what was that first one called? Because I know the second one was reunion, and then after, but the first one is before. Before, so your your poem before, and then in reunion. You know, gosh, the way you talked about like coming here on a plane and you used like safely so specifically because even some for myself who came here, I'm undocumented, but coming on a plane, sometimes that feels a little like, you know, like, like, uh, God, I came here on a plane. I didn't have to go through the things that other people had gone through. And then you talked about like Google Maps does not show you like the steps that my family had to take does not show you stuff like that. And, the, and then finally, the last one, the, the one you did call after, which is exactly how I've been feeling lately. It's about like now you have your green card, you know, feeling like gold and being like this example of like what an undocumented person is supposed to be. And it's just it's hard. Sometimes you even say in the, in the poem, you say we're tired. We're just tired of having to be this gold. Like uh, where did this like three thing come from? Like how just talk about that because I felt for you and I felt that too. Like I'm just tired of, you know, trying to be gold after all I've been through. Yeah, so for the pieces themselves, um, for before I, pulling from like the, the title somewhere we are human, um, one of the things that I've been really sitting with is like that our lives and our homes and our families, our memories, like they have existed before migration, right? That there's like so much attention and like um, a, a migrant person, moment of existence comes when they cross into the United States, but that's not the case. Like there's stories behind us. Um, and I, I wanted to evoke that in like the first poem, uh, my mom um, and her siblings and um, how they went to school, um, but also being careful of not to, to share so much um, because it's also private and because I have, I have to be intentional about um, what stories are mine. And so that's, I was trying to figure out how to tell and share um, the little glimpses of, of the stories that my mom shared with me about her siblings. Um, the, the reunion, I feel that um, I wanted to make sure that even within our mixed status families, that even our immigration statuses or our immigration journeys were very different. Uh, I did come by a plane. My parents crossed the border, um, and so they they had a different interaction. But I was also a young child, um, and a a child um, with strangers, and to not go into too much legalities. Um, just wanted to evoke like the complexities of that and like as a tiny human being like my understanding was like my parents don't love me they left me yeah. um as a younger as an older person now uh, going through therapy and go, and you know working through like attachment issues and like trauma and like all these different psychological impacts that like migration takes a toll on like migrant bodies specifically like young children um i wanted to show that in that poem um and then ending it with like how I feel now. Like now when I hear their stories, when they tell me, they feel safe telling me because I also want to be conscious about not having them relive their trauma. Um, uh, I I just want to tell them that I, I like I love them and I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. 
And then the last one is more like my conversation with other undocumented folks, specifically with other dreamers, with other folks who may be thinking of uh, our our ultimate goal is to be this like American story, like of like triumph and, and gold and wealth. But it's not like our um, it also takes a toll in our in, in people's like human capacity. Like people are exhausted. People are trying to navigate. Um, issues don't end just because you get like an immigration status. Um, there's still like your race, your class, um, your gender, your sexuality. Um, they're still going to be at play in this like empire of the United States. So, yeah. yeah. No, it was, and, and it was beautiful. Like honestly, your three poems took me through like an odyssey. Honestly, it was, it was those those emotions, and and thank you for you know for for putting that. I it was, it was amazing. Uh, when it comes uh, to Reina and and the the essay you wrote, I uh, you went back to the books of Sweet Valley High with with uh, with your kids, and it's funny because it wasn't until I read you talking about how you obsessed with uh, Sweet Valley High that I realized how obsessed I was with Animorphs another book series and and uh and i realized i was obsessed with it because it was i always thought animals were more free than i was so i thought how great would it be if i could just turn into an animal and fly to whatever place or or you know slither through whatever like border i wanted like so i listened to you so really high what you want to be i was like crying I was like oh my god we all have those little books that you know that are you know we don't know why we're reading them but it's because of these things that we want and it, it just you know so what what uh you want to tell us about about your story in the book and just uh where it comes because I also have kids in America which deals a lot with that too. Yeah, so my piece is about my turmoil as an immigrant parent, um, parenting to U.S. born upper middle class kids whose childhoods are completely different from my childhood, you know, and I. It has taken me and I'm still working on it in terms of grappling with that and how to how to reconcile my own childhood traumas and how to keep my traumas from impacting the way I parent my kids or my relationship with my kids. So in the piece, I, I make that comparison between, you know, especially like my daughter's uh, childhood and her her take on life and her privileges, right? And also like thinking about how, how I as a parent work towards providing my children the things that I never had as a kid, but in doing that and giving them a childhood full of privileges, it has also created a distance between me and my kids because a lot of times I feel like I'm on the outside looking in on mm. their childhoods. And, and I, I feel like an outsider at home sometimes that I can't relate to my children. Um, so I mentioned Sweet Valley High because that book really impacted me when I was a teenager. You know, I was reading Sweet Valley High about this uh, white, this blonde hair, blue eyed twins who were popular cheerleaders in high school. They were upper middle class. Their parents were college-educated, working professionals, and they had everything. They had it all. They had cute boyfriends. You know, they were popular. They were wealthy. They had all these, um, all these privileges, 
and I I felt like an outsider looking in on their lives, but I was fascinated because these books gave me access <laughs> to to white middle class America. Yeah. But and I dreamt of one day being able to have those luxuries. But most importantly, I dreamt of one day being able to give those to my kids. And I have done it. I have achieved that goal, but there's a price to be paid, right? And so that essay kind of touches on that price that I have paid. And then also the price that my father paid uh, by trying to give us a better life and bringing us to this country. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I I really fell for that because, you know, I've seen family members who came here like when I did and have, you know, completely sucked into the U.S. lifestyle and almost not want to say forgot where they come from. But there is that aspect of that happened. We're past. And then, yeah, with my own children, you know, they don't even speak Spanish. They never even asked me about Dominican Republic. They have no idea the kind of struggles I did to come here. And and you are thankful that they don't have to go through that. And maybe this is my trauma speaking, but sometimes I look at my kids and I go, dang it, why do you get two good parents? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just like, but you say that joking around, but you're like, oh man, don't say that. Cause I'm like, I got none. But no, 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 that's kidding. But yeah, like, yeah. You know, there is, you, right? There's a point where we feel jealous of our own jealous children. Jealous of our own children. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, I don't hate you, but like you, but I love you. You know, like, and you hate to be like that. Cause that's the whole point. You want to give them everything. But oh, that, that I, I, I feel for you. There's that point that we did the work, but. Um, something that I actually, uh, Rena, staying on you real quick, and maybe I, uh, both of you can answer this. Uh, with you reading uh, Sweet Valley High so much as a kid, uh, we, uh, you know, people of color in the United States, we consumed a lot of like white media. You know what I mean? That's the way I could put it, white media. Uh, as somebody who's trying to do this themselves, when was it like when you started to sort of like uh, decentralize like maybe whiteness from your work? Or it, was it never part of it? Because I know like, Personally, for me, I'm talking about as a comedian. A lot of my work originally was to, I guess, educate white people or get white people to like me or get white people to be my friend. And then at a certain point, I need to realize, hold up, stop, wait a minute, stop stop centralizing white people and all your jokes. Like, hey, guys, just be like, hey, my people, this is who we are. You know what I mean? And just tell the stories because that's one thing that I loved about this entire book. It was like 311 pages. I've read every single one of, of just like white people were not even they were not central in this i mean you know there was the, the united states was spoken and, and the things that it did but it was just us telling us what's going on uh like yeah so so reina when when in your work did you feel like you know you had to start decentralizing like or was it ever something mm-hmm. um well i i think i have to try to do <clears throat> find a balance between that because I want to decentralize and I'm, you know, every book I've written, I have always had the audience in mind as being my community, like, right, like, this is a love letter to my community. And that's how I want to approach every project that I have. At the same time, though, the reality is that, you know, once you are published, there's always that pressure of like, how does your, your book fit into the mainstream? Mm. And then that pressure of needing to make sure that you are also reaching a wider and wider <laughs> audience. <laughs> because otherwise, you know, you're, um, 
your your pigeonholed or the bookstore puts you in the ethnic shelf. Um, they label you as Latino literature instead of just American literature. Yeah. So I, I feel that we all go through that experience, uh, writers of color, where we're constantly having to say, hey, you know, don't pigeonhole me. Why can't I be part of the, the mainstream um, literary world? Why do I need to be pigeonholed or labeled as just, you know, Latin, L Latino literature or just, yeah. you know, uh, Mexican-American literature? And so there, there's these things that I, I'm, I'm constantly grappling with. Yeah. But one thing that has really helped me is just to constantly remind myself or who needs to who needs to read these stories that I'm writing and how can I uh, build bridges with words, right? Yeah. Between me and, and my readers. Yeah. No, and uh, I, I totally understand that. It's, yeah, it's, it's a difficult uh, world to maneuver, you know, and, and I felt that, I felt that same way, you know, as a stand-up comedian too, you know, I just try to be a comic. Uh, one of the things that I felt, and just to share a little story is uh, one time I put out an album and XM Satellite Radio had uh, two radio stations. They had a Latino station and comedy. That's what they call it. They call it Latin comedy and comedy. And when my album came out, man, on the Latino station, oh, I was a hit. I made $40,000 off that album just playing. But then they took away the Latino. Thank you so much. But this is where it goes wrong. They took away the Latino and they never played me on the comedy station. So just from them cutting that channel, I lost all that money on a good album, on good work. That they were playing consistently, but that's but that's what it was. I was not considered a comic. I was a Latino comic, and this is the only channel he should be on. And, right. that's, and that's you know those are the little things that bit away at me. That was like I need to stop making all my jokes about white people. You know what I mean? And like and like doing certain things because even when the jokes weren't about Latino, they still put me in the Latino category. You know what I mean? Just because of my name, Miguel. Like that's it. That's all I needed to see. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is across the board. I feel that all of us in whatever industry we're, yeah. we're working in, we're always just um, labeled and categorized and pigeonholed somewhere. Mm -hmm. And and they don't allow us, right, to, to, to come out of that and just to be able to say, I'm a writer, you know, like, why do, I, why do we need to be labeled and why does our work need to be pigeonholed? Yeah. What about what about for you, Sonia? Was you know any you know you how long have you been doing uh, poetry? Like I said, we say putting it out there. I want to say since high school. Uh, so that's like, oh my god, uh, a long time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a long time because I'm still young. But yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I grew up in New York City. So uh, you talking here. about. Danielis, I grew up on 135th and Broadway, so El Malecón, like right there. Oh, wow. Um, okay. 88th in yeah. Jamaica, Queens, all the time. <laughs> you know uh, I mean? yeah. uh, so I think for me is, um, I don't think, I don't think I've ever like centered whiteness or like a white audience. I think my concern was always like um, centering like our migrant organizing spaces and making sure that things are appropriate and on messaging. Um, and I think that um, in my, and 10 years after like leaving some of those spaces, um, 
I've like gone into like, no, we should tell like our messy stories, our stories that are not just like good for like talking points about like how good of immigrants we are. And I think that um, that's been something that I've had to like um, work around. And I'm, I'm writing for community. I'm writing for our like our folks who are messy, who are complicated, who are uh, layered human beings, who are like who've yeah, who've like are flawed and like yeah. and and I think that oftentimes in our spaces in in our communities we're expected to be so put together and to tell a specific story. Um, and I've like shifted away from that and just like try to honor like the complexities of who we are. And um, but yeah, like I I also believe that our community members um, they also have like like you were just speaking about like you got forty k out of that you know out of the the Latino com- you know comedy section um, session of the radio right mm-hmm. that's because that community showed up right yeah. there's, there's resources and wealth even within our communities and so but um, and and it's just like pushing more content out into those spaces right and so I think our communities will have our back um, if, you know with content that we want um, that's oftentimes the conversation here and like in LA and Hollywood about um white people are not gonna like you know so and so like uh, show or whatever like well that's okay because it will flourish you know like gorditas chronicles like is flourishing within a community because there is there is a hunger for it there's a demand and we have numbers like brown black indigenous folks like there's like numbers of us like in this country so yeah i think and also um, other yeah. countries are looking in too so there's even exactly. further than that you know exactly yeah. that's uh that's that's amazing yeah I've, i'm uh, I, I don't know if it might be, maybe I'm, I'm speaking a lot here. It might be like a, almost like a generational thing because I'm 34. So that that whole... Have, huh? Oh, okay. We just feel like younger people now don't even have to worry about that whole, like, you know, they, they've centralized, you know, white people. And no, they got TikTok. So they're seeing people that look just like them doing stuff. So they feel a little more like assured of themselves, you know, but I grew up like, you know, with TV and friends. So that's why, like, I've had to do a lot more, uh, I feel like, deconstructing than... Probably I'm not, we grew up living single too, though, you know. I but see, I'm a I'm a very different breed. Where I literally just watch nothing but like Will and Grace and that kind. And there's a lot of people like me, you know. And it isn't until now where I'm like, oh yeah, living single and you know all these other shows and uh, how was that? Que pasa USA about the Cuban family things like that. Like I'm finding old shows like that. I'm like, wow, these shows were around, you know, not you know not by mainstream, but they were around. So I'm trying to do that too. I'm trying to deconstruct here. Um, real quick, uh, we only got like a, a few minutes left. I just wanted to uh, talk about just one thing personally that I loved about the book, which uh, I love the picture that you guys uh, that y'all used for it instead of uh, I forgot what it was it was right in the front. They talked about instead of using the butterfly, you wanted to use the dandelion. Yeah, because it is it's such a great message. It's very resourceful, used for a lot of things, and grows anywhere. And it's like that's that's immigrants. That's us. Like, uh, did, is this something that's been used before or is this something that y'all came up with for this book and was like, I want to use that? Yeah, no, I, I, we were definitely pushing back against that butterfly metaphor. And I love butterflies. I mean, look at my tattoo. I have like butterflies <laughs> on my arm. <laughs> so my garden Listen, I push back against religion. I got a cross right here. Oh, so just <laughs> share a little bit about what's happening here. <laughs> well, because I embrace that image of the butterfly yeah. as being a symbol for migration, yeah. right? I, I totally embraced it and I love it. I think it's beautiful. But then, you know, like Sonia and I were thinking about like, what is a more 
a more appropriate symbol for migration because everybody loves butterflies, but you cannot say that about immigrants. You know, immigrants are not welcome. They're not loved. Um, they're not appreciated. And so then we came up with the dandelion because the dandelion is a survivor. And it's and people are always trying to get rid of dandelions. They're seen as weeds, you know, unwanted, um, ugly, and yet they're medicinal plants. They have all these beneficial properties, but most of all, their instinct to survive is so strong, you know, and they are survivors and they can thrive and grow wherever they land. Yeah, and I think for us it was most important that um, we incorporated a a design that was one by one of our like our contributors. And right now I reached out to uh, uh, one of our essays contributors. Yeah, Elias Roldan. Yeah, and so the like the embroidery that you see that was like hand embroidered. Um, and so oh, I think for nice. us it was yeah, like you could feel it. Like I we noticed were, that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel embroidery. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I think for um another ad added to this is that the dandelion has been like um also like being used in like food justice and reproductive justice and racial justice like campaigns and movement spaces. And I think people are called to it because of that um that way the dandelions are always misunderstood um and always being picked out of, but it's actually like um, has like medicinal usage. Um, it has so many like um, it, it impacts our ecosystem, and so I think that that's like important um, to lift up that the dandelion doesn't give a shit about like you know, if you like it or not. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna root itself. It's gonna yeah. survive. It's gonna find ways of doing it. It comes out of concrete. You know, it comes. You know, finds a way to to live, and I think that um, that's what we were trying to like evoke um, and move away from like. Um, definitely like beautiful um, symbolism of the butterflies. Um, and I think that the, this particular moment, we're also wanting to like see other symbolisms or other um, layers of our migraine experiences um, that allows us to like also talk about the the aches and the tenders and the complexities yeah. and, and knowing that um, our survival can also look really complicated and can look, um, hard um and and so i think that that's where the dandelion like um yeah. imagery and also like the little seeds that fl flow yeah. around Flowing um, the, yeah yeah which to us was also important uh with like our stories like uh, we hope that all 41 of these like pieces land somewhere where like root themselves and open like, possibilities of how we are rethinking of like our migrant policies immigration but also just the general humanity of our like our migrant folks that's that's awesome i love that um we only got like a few more minutes i don't want to take up any more of either time just um just i i, I guess uh, just one more question then, then i'll wrap it up with you guys just with every you know talking about like you know being like the dandelions and i'm wearing this like let's cool it sure with when we had like massive uh wildfires and heat uh waves for the last two months and a lot of it has to do you know with uh with climate change immigration is always going to be in the forefront and stuff like that so just 
kind of like with with the midterms coming up anything just kind of like can, can you can you leave us on a little hope of just maybe some some change that you're seeing on the ground and maybe some legislation down the pipeline that just anything that you're like no these are things that are you know we're working on and it's making us excited and then maybe so yeah and we'll we'll wrap up by letting us know where we can find the rest of your work uh Raina, if you want to go just how you feeling like just you know how am I feeling? Um, <laughs> the immigration. Yeah. I, I I think I've been avoiding the news recently, just because every time I look look up the news, it's not good. You know, I yeah. mean, I haven't really been up to date on what has happened in the last few weeks. I think after after what happened in San Antonio with uh, all those migrants who who died in the the trailer truck, it it has it has really been devastating to me, you know, just thinking about how, how many deaths, you know, and, and when is it going to end, right? Yeah. Like, when are we finally going to realize how our immigration policies are forcing people to take these kinds of risks? And we have to ask ourselves what's going on in other countries that people are, you know, taking huge risks mm. to to be able to to escape where where they're at to escape their situation yeah. and come here and so i i really wish that you know something like this that that just happened it would be a wake up call and that our political leaders could finally yeah. start um giving us some some humane immigration policies so that has been my hope, but time and time again, I think we're always disappointed in our political yeah. leaders because they don't do anything. Yeah, and that's one thing I appreciate about the book too was um, a lot of the stories dealt with the intervention of like the U.S. at our homes, you know, which is something that it's unavoidable. You know, sometimes I say I feel like a ping pong ball with the United States, and I'm the ball. You know, just like mm -hmm. just like ta -ca -ca -ca, I don't know, you know. So so it's maddening. Uh, what about just uh, for you, son? Just anything you know, what you're seeing and. Yeah, for me, uh, well, there's like so many horrible like rulings that we have been in, in the Supreme Court versus like whether it's like Roe versus Wade um, or just like the ongoing uh, lack of um, of change that is happening around like defunding the police, right? Like there's like so many things um, happening, or even like conversation about gun violence um, and and. All also tied in with like immigration um, conversations. Uh, you mentioned like with the change with climate change um, it impacts immigration. Yes, like there's going to be a massive wave, and it, there mm -hmm. already is massive wave of climate refugees, um, and we're not going to stop seeing it. You know, you are. I think you're still in New York City. Um, like the massive heat across the country, but specifically New York City and places that i'm near philly right now i don't want people in new york philly, like, yeah right now i'm near philly i'm near philly i'm in philly yeah philly. Still uh, proud of here, 104 you know yeah um and and we see it like it's not going to change and so but i do have hope in like our communities and frontline communities who are coming up with solutions uh, who have the solutions uh, who are coming up with frameworks and strategies and i think that um it is like all the amazing work that um usually like we always highlight like the the New York City's and the Californias um, mm -hmm. 
but it's also like Southern states who hold it down in terms of like organizing and, and mobilizing our community members. And specifically in the South right now, like props to all the reproductive justice organizers, uh, specifically black, you know, like women, feminists, queer folks down there who are holding it down and uh, prepping for the elections and, and, and yeah, like prepping with the elections. Um, I will say in California right now, we, um, we just got um, Food for All, uh, which is a campaign that was hoping to give uh, food assistance uh, to all like Californians, regardless of immigration status. Mm. Uh, we were only able to get it to 55 and older. So next cycle, we're going to push for everyone. But we also got Health for All, which ma- uh, means that anyone, uh, regardless of immigration status, can access Medi-Cal. And so that is an incredible win uh, because we understand the need of our communities uh, to live, to have access to food um, and healthcare. Um, But overall, I feel that um, with so much hard things that are happening, I am grounded in the the resilience and the the amazing work that people are doing on the ground. And it's going to take all of us not just in the policy spaces, but it's also going to take artists and cultural workers to do that work because the our arts and cultures, they complement our policy work. So uh, we need you to tell your jokes and we need more of your essays and your poems and your writings mm-hmm. and podcasts because yeah. that helps us like keep pushing for, for, yeah. for the better of our communities. Yeah, I, I honestly thought my TikToks were a little silly at first because they're all about yeah. growing up undocumented. And then I realized people like, oh, no, this makes people laugh because they grew up undocumented like this. This is really. And then people are like oh, I started posting because of you. And I'm like, awesome. That is awesome. Uh, before I let you to go back to saving the world, uh, where else can can we find any of your work uh, where, you know, you know, on social media or anything? Please let us know where we can find you. Uh, let us know. So on your first and then we'll go to Raina. Sure. Uh, people can find me on soniaquinansaka.com. Uh, so there's if you're um, interested in learning more about my work, past work, um, and Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok. I'm not as good as you. Uh, <laughs> it's just a very silly shit. Uh, but oh, at the Sonia G, T H E S O N I A G. And then I recently launched House of Alegria, which is a multi fold project supporting. Um, queer, trans, non-binary migrant folks uh, through residency and helping them, you know, self-publish their own uh, chat books. So uh, yeah, houseofalegria.com. And awesome. I would also uplift that the book is also an audio book. So oh. uh, I recommend people downloading the uh, um, the the audiobook version of this. Uh, we have incredible narrators uh, who are, many of them who are also non-binary, queer, trans, um, and come from migrant experiences. So uh, please uh, continue supporting our book. I want to hear the audiobook now too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Reina, where, where can we find you? Can- yeah, you can find me at reinagrande.com or also on social media, um, uh, Instagram, uh, writer, at writer Reina Grande, and on Facebook, uh, author Reina Grande, and then on Twitter, I'm just at Reina Grande. Awesome. Uh, thank you again, both for your time. This this episode will be up like in, uh, not this upcoming Thursday, but next Thursday, I'll let you know all about it. And uh, I really hope people go out and get the book, because I'll be honest with you, I, I really, I'm not looking right at the camera. I really did cry a lot. So I know it's going to be emotional for you too. So go check out the book. Thank you so much for your time. Have a good day. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.
This has been a Drop Tent Media Production.